You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. With mixed rain and snow in the forecast for later tonight, the first day of winter 2017 is threatening to live up to its name. And so the push is on across Metro Vancouver to get ready for another potentially dicey morning commute. Global's Ted Chernecki is at the North Vancouver Works Yard where they are in high gear. Ted. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Uh, nobody wants to underestimate the weather at this time of the year. You know, normally at another time you might consider not driving in snowy weather, but with Christmas shopping days rapidly running out and families trying to reconnect, not driving may not be an option. First blast of winter weather, and they can't install winter tires fast enough. Shops everywhere are busier than ever. It's really crazy, busy, it's not, not stopping. There isn't a lot of snow in the forecast, but as everyone knows by now, it doesn't take much to snarl traffic in the lower mainland. And the sad fact is most vehicles on the road will not have full-on snow tires. The snowflake designation, which is a little bit gray as far as I'm concerned, because almost every car has an M&S all-season tire on it. However, is it as good as an all-weather or a winter? In these conditions, absolutely not. Last year, the Lower Mainland was snowbound for several weeks, and municipalities actually ran out of salt. Not this year. We start early forecasting in October. When our equipment comes out, we look at long-range forecasting. Uh, when we start to dress our equipment, we familiarize our crews with what they're going to do and, and how we clear the streets. Uh, so it starts really early for us. If you're going to have to deal with a dump of snow, it's best that it falls in the middle of the night. Monday's mess occurred during the morning rush hour, and the upper levels were snarled for most of the day, with semi-trailers spinning their wheels, preventing salt trucks from getting to where they were needed. You know, if we've got a storm in rush hour, it's a very big challenge for us to get out uh, with the commuters that are stuck in the same traffic. So that's always a challenge. So the good news is uh, the snow has not started. The rush hour, the afternoon rush hour, is winding down. And if it's going to snow, it's best to snow, as I say, in the middle of the night when there's uh, little traffic on the road so these cell trucks can get the job done. And by the way, on Tuesday, ICBC reports that they uh, had 4,200 claims called in. Chris, Sophie? Could be more than that by tomorrow night. Thanks very much, Ted. We'll bring in Christy Gordon now, live from Lafarge Lake in Coquitlam, for the latest word on what we're expecting tonight and tomorrow morning, Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. So as Ted mentioned, we're really lucky. The majority of the commute already over. No flurries have fallen. Looking at the radar imagery, there are a few very small flurries across Vancouver Island. Uh, there were reports in uh, Cowichan Valley of a couple of centimeters earlier today. But now all of these areas that you're seeing here, including the lower mainland, have still the possibility of a couple of centimeters this evening. When I come back, Chris, I'll show you which areas could see it first. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Beautiful setting. Vancouver International Airport is full tonight with people getting away from our weather or flying into it. YVR says today is the busiest day of the Christmas season with more than 80,000 passengers expected. The usual advice arrived two hours before a domestic flight and three hours before international. And make sure you check for delays before leaving home to head for the airport. Uh, about five hours now. And where are you going? Uh, going down to um, Phoenix. I believe it's two hours. Yeah. Two hour delay. Yeah. yeah. But we forgot to check on our way in. We thought since the weather was nice, we, there, we didn't plot this. It was our fault. 
YVR has installed some new security lanes to help move things along, but says the bottom line is you should expect the unexpected. Lots going on today, including a troubling story out of Surrey with another attack on a 16-year-old female student. It happened near Earl Marriott Secondary, and Nadia Stewart joins us live now with the details. Nadia, this is in the same area that another attack took place a few months ago. Yeah, that first incident back in September. The second incident uh, just this morning, just after 7.30, a 16-year-old girl was making her way through Alderwood Park when she says she was grabbed from behind by a man that she did not recognize. Now, she managed to break free and run over to Earl Marriott Secondary School. That's where police were called. By the time they arrived here, though, the suspect had already taken off. Of course, police are now exploring any possible connections between the first and now second second incident. Investigators have not been able to identify any links between the two, but certainly we're alive to that possibility. Officers are making this a priority investigation. Uh, Certainly there's a chance that we have a predator in the neighborhood, but it is too early to tell if these incidents are linked or not. Now, we do have a description of the suspect, uh, described as a Caucasian man, about 30 to 40 years old. He had a fair complexion, short black hair, clean cut looking, and wearing a black hoodie and gloves. Anyone with information is being asked to call Crime Stoppers. Parents, though, in the area are also being warned tonight to remind their students about some safety procedures, just basic things that they should keep in mind here in the area. Don't take shortcuts, stick to the main routes, avoid forested areas walk in pairs and with friends and when you're leaving anywhere to go to school come from school make sure someone knows where you are back to you chris all right nadia thank you transit police are commending a young woman for coming forward with her complaint about being harassed for months by the same man jill bennett has the details of an investigation by transit police that led to an arrest A lot of young women use transit every day. Many have experienced unwanted attention from men. I've definitely had some really uncomfortable comments made toward me while I was, you know, waiting for the bus in a vulnerable position. And, you know, even when you ask them to stop, you know, they'll continue to harass you. On Monday afternoon, transit police say a 21-year-old woman approached officers here at the Marine Drive Canada Line station, saying for months she had been followed and harassed by one man who once whispered in her ear and tried to grab her. Tuesday evening, transit police arrested a 64-year-old man at the bus loop adjacent to the Canada Line station. He now has charges pending. We actually have an opportunity to make a difference in addressing sexual violence on public transportation, and so this is a good thing. While an arrest was made here, it's not the only case police are investigating. This surveillance photo was released earlier this month. The suspect is wanted in connection to two sexual assaults, both targeting women as they left transit, one from SkyTrain, the other from a bus. There's a portion of men that that is what they do. They get up every day and they, and they head out with the sole intention of doing sexual offending on public transportation. And scary because I have a young daughter, 13 years old. Uh, usually she take a bus herself here. Reducing harassment in the transit system is a priority, but it can be difficult to speak up. It's really hard because, you know, I always think I'm going to be confident and tell them off. But then when you're in that, like, position, you know, it's totally different. Like, you're really vulnerable and it's really uncomfortable. Transit police are reminding anyone who is a target or a witness to report what they see to officers. Like in the most recent case, it can lead to an arrest as soon as the next day. Jill Bennett, Global News. 
Meantime, Langley RCMP are looking for witnesses to an attack near Walnut Grove Secondary. A woman walking some paths was approached by a man who tried to abduct her. Luckily, she was able to get away. The suspect is Caucasian, 30 to 40 years old, 6 feet tall with a skinny build. He was wearing a gray hoodie and blue jeans. Anyone who has seen any suspicious activity in the area should call police or Crime Stoppers. Abbotsford police had their hands full last night dealing with an impaired driver and an equally impaired passenger. As John Wall reports, their car ended up on the front lawn of a home, and it could have been a lot worse. A driver in handcuffs after a slow-moving vehicle crashed into a tree outside this Abbotsford home. Witnesses say despite the low speed, the situation escalated quickly. The car just kind of slowly scraped the side of my vehicle and went all the way into the tree there. Abbotsford police called to Oriole Crescent early Wednesday evening about a suspicious vehicle first on the side of the road, then in the middle of it. Both times the occupants inside, not moving. You either had to go extremely over this way to go around it or extremely on the other side. There was no getting around it easy. Then the black Chrysler 300 made its final journey towards Duke Yan's house. In the room, just play the game, actually. I just pinned the palm. And according to neighbors who did not want to appear on camera when they came out, they saw both the driver and passenger seemingly passed out, both leaning against the windows inside the vehicle. And they say they stayed that way until police arrived. As a result of uh, a lot of the cues that we were getting, including interaction with the two people in the car, that they were impaired by drugs, uh, particularly the female who was the driver. Calm down, okay? Witnesses say when the driver was eventually woken up by police, she wasn't happy. She insisted on uh, on engaging us in what ended up being a little bit of a struggle and a battle uh, outside of the vehicle. The passenger arrested under a warrant for an unrelated matter. The driver likely facing charges of being impaired by drugs and assaulting a police officer. I think in, in policing terms, this is what we would refer to as a cluster. It had a little bit of everything going on in there. The next day, neighbors still thinking about how much worse the supper hour incident could have been. Good thing that tree was actually there. You know, where else would it have gone? John Hua, Global News. Christmas is only a few days away, and more and more Canadians will be relying on food banks this year. Local food banks are still receiving generous donations, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, it's getting harder to keep up with the growing need. Hey, Vince. Hey, how you doing? Selena Matson is at the Surrey Food Bank every week. She's been coming here for two years now. Living on a disability check, there isn't enough money to make it to the end of the month. This is more than just a lifeline. Um, it means a lot because it helps me get through, you know, every month, and you know, it's it means a lot. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And a disability check goes. Yes. Right. When you pay all your bills, and yeah. At the Surrey Food Bank, donations are holding their own. The charity expects to meet its targets for 2017, but the demand keeps growing. 200 people a day pass through this line. The Surrey Food Bank handing out about $30,000 a day in food. We have young children, we have working families, we have seniors, we have new immigrants, we have refugees. So to keep up with the demands of all those different uh, demographics is, is quite interesting. Christmas, traditionally the busiest time of year for donations. But with so many other charities competing for dollars, what used to last into summer might make it to spring next year. For people like Kevin Foley, who is just here for the second time, this food makes the difference between living on the street 
and having a roof over his head. Well, I've been uh, been homeless for a while, and then finally got my feet back on the ground. So, no, I'm here. Good for you. What Call to look it up now. There have been a lot of asks of the community this year, and donor dollars are limited. Food banks in BC need help, and so far that help is keeping up with demand, but just barely. There were the fires, uh, Thanksgiving, just a lot of uh, people being pulled in a lot of different directions. But our community has always come through for us, and we're very, very thankful for that. And Metro Vancouver food banks are about to get a major boost. Aaron MacArthur is live in Vancouver with a special donation. Aaron? Yeah, big shot in the arm for food banks, Sophie. Uh, I am here with Kyle Luorn, uh, Art Schumann-Hess. Uh, Kyle Luorn from uh, Caltire and Art Schumann-Hess from, uh, from the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Hi, guys. How are you? Well, and you? You're good, good, good. Um, Caltire has been a major corporate sponsor uh, all around BC. You have a donation here. How'd you raise that money? Uh, earlier this month, we launched a campaign for customers that bought a set of four tires. We gave them $50 off the invoice and in turn donated an additional $50 to Food Bank, um, which we're very happy and thrilled tonight to be able to hand over to Art as a representative of the British Columbia Food Bank. All right, let's, uh, let's see the number. Flip that check. Look at that. $110,000. Wow, that's a huge number. Thank you so much. Uh, Art, what does this mean? You know what? A big thank you to Caltire. There's 19 food banks that will benefit from, from the $110,000. So a big thank you to Caltire for helping those communities. And that will allow food banks to buy healthy, nutritious food. So we are super excited about this donation. Can't beat that. You're going to keep doing this? Yeah, we're looking forward to it. I think it's easy to think about the food bank in the holiday season, but uh, it's an operation that runs 12 months of the year. So, yeah, I would look forward to us having a stronger relationship moving forward. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big, big numbers down here. Big generosity uh, just before Christmas. Chris, so, Sophie. So wonderful to see. Thank you, Aaron. Encouraging for the food bank and also good to know so many people are getting winter tires <laughs> or new tires anyway. Exactly. Well, uh, they, they might need them. They might need them. <laughs> yeah, and we'll check in with Christy a little bit later on. Right now, though, the Port of Vancouver is trying to get you into the holiday spirit with its own unique twist on a Christmas classic. On the 363rd day this year, Port Vancouver brought to me. The port got a choir to sing about the six thousand plus items delivered through the port in 2017 stretching the song 12 days of christmas into a three-hour marathon it set a record for the longest holiday song on the first day this year port vancouver brought to me These last few days have been real up for my family. Raw emotion from the son of a billionaire couple during their funeral today. Barry and Honey Sherman were found dead in their Toronto home last week. Police sources telling Global News the Shermans were found hanging from a railing by the swimming pool. And while detectives say the deaths are suspicious, they also say they are not looking for suspects. The Sherman family has shot down rampant rumors that their deaths might have been a murder-suicide, calling it unfounded speculation. Barry Sherman founded the pharmaceutical giant Apotex. 7,000 people, including the Prime Minister, 
Ontario's Premier and the Mayor of Toronto attended today's service. The the community of Rutland in Kelowna is reeling tonight from a horrendous family tragedy. 34-year-old Jacob Foreman has been charged with three counts of second-degree murder in the deaths of his wife, Clara, and two young daughters, Karina and Yesenia. Their bodies were found Tuesday in the family's home. Foreman is a supervisor at a plumbing and heating company, described as a devout Christian who has a leadership role at his small church. His wife, Clara, worked as a fitness instructor at a gym. Neighbors are stunned by the murders. I can't fathom it, no. You know, it's just really sad, really sad. Would never ever think that from that family, you know. They were very just down-to-earth people, and um, he'd go to work every day and just appeared to be such a gentleman, you know. And so, I mean, it's a shock for all of us here. You know, I just wouldn't think that that would ever happen, but... Police aren't disclosing how the three victims were killed. Jacob Foreman made his first court appearance today and is being held in custody. The TV host, who wanted to make sure everyone knew how much he loves to hunt, uh, got his wish. But the photos he posted recently on social media made a lot of people angry. Shooting a mountain lion is legal in Alberta, but some are still not impressed, including the wife of former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And a warning, some of the language she used might be jarring for some. TV host Steve Eklund took down the Facebook post today he originally put up December 3rd. In another deleted post, he said he did eat part of the animal. Still, he's facing a lot of heat over the smiling photos he took. Former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's wife, Lorene, tweeted, What a creep, chasing a cougar with dogs until they are exhausted, then shooting a scared, cornered, and tired animal. Must be compensating for something. Small penis, probably. Cougars are not endangered in Alberta, and that's why they can be hunted from the start of December until the end of February. 185 kills are allowed every year in the province, but the five-year average is less than that, at 136. Our management objectives for cougars are to, to, to maintain uh, a viable population that performs its ecological role in the system. This is not the first time hunting controversy has gone viral. Remember Cecil the lion killed by a Minnesota dentist in 2015. And BC recently ended its grizzly hunt after former NHLer Clinton Stoner was charged with killing a bear in 2013. Both of those species were endangered. Nathan Kowalski, a hunter himself, has written a book on the philosophy of hunting. He says part of the problem is a fulsome debate is not possible in a polarizing post. By putting them on a social media platform where very short and, and, and um, gut reactions are the only way that we know how to respond to these issues, that doesn't lead us to any kind of nuanced or deeper discussion of the issue. Well, we're watching those votes. Let them vote against us. We'll save a lot. We don't care. This vote will make a difference on how Americans look at the U.N. and on how we look at countries who disrespect us in the U.N., and this vote will be remembered. A majority of the United Nations General Assembly ignoring the words of U.S. President Donald Trump and his U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, voting overwhelmingly 128 to 9 against a resolution to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now, there were 35 abstentions, including Canada. The Canadian government wants Jerusalem's status as a capital to be determined in final peace negotiations but didn't want to openly oppose our biggest ally on the world stage.
Some new images are coming out tonight of that shocking moment in Australia. A driver deliberately rams into a crowd of pedestrians in Melbourne, injuring at least 19 people. The attack, similar to other recent ones around the world, but so far, authorities are not linking this to terrorism. Tonight, new security footage showing the white SUV pulling out into traffic, then accelerating toward a crowded intersection filled with Christmas shoppers. What happened next is horrifying. The car smashed. More than a dozen people lie injured in the street, including a four-year-old boy. Reports of bodies flying. She described it as um, people flying through the air like ragdolls. The incident echoing other driving rampages, like a year ago this week at a Berlin Christmas market. But in this case, police say so far they've found no ties to terrorism. The man behind the wheel, a 32-year-old Australian, an off-duty police sergeant, tackled him. He is a person who is known to Victoria Police and has a history of drug use as well as mental health issues. Tonight, they're calling what he did deliberate and evil, but not a terror attack. Kelly Caballeja, NBC News. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle released their engagement photos today. The photos were taken on the grounds of Frogmore House in Windsor. The first is a formal portrait with the prince in a suit and his fiancée in an elegant evening gown. The second shot, much more intimate, with the pair wrapped together in a winter jacket. The couple later released a candid photo from the day as a thank you for the warm wishes they've received since announcing their engagement last month. They will marry on May 19th at St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. In Health Matters tonight, a Tennessee couple achieved a world record simply with the birth of their daughter. Little Emma Wren and her parents are enjoying their first Christmas as a family. Mom Tina gave birth last month to her daughter, who grew from a donated embryo that was frozen 24 years ago. It's believed to be the longest gap between conception and birth since IVF began. Emma Wren was conceived in 1992. That's the same year Tina, the mom, was born. We could have been best friends. And <laughs> he was like, oh my gosh. To be involved and help build these families is the most rewarding work that you can do out there. Uh, it is stunningly beautiful where Christy Gordon is on location tonight at what's billed as the largest free outdoor lights display on the Lower Mainland. The lights at Lafarge in Coquitlam. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. Yes, that's exactly right. So this is my first time down here to Lafarge Lake, and it is quite tremendous. So lucky to have a little lake right near the town center here, and they've lit it up uh, with various themes all around the lake. It's a 1.2-kilometer loop, really easy for uh, all families and all ages to be able to do the loop. Plus, the um, pathway is actually paved, so it's easy for people of all abilities as well, strollers and things. Uh, they say dogs are welcome on leash, of course. Um, so far, we've had no flurries. In fact, I've had no reports of any flurries across the Lower Mainland or Vancouver Island in the last couple of hours, but they are on the way. We do have a chance of them, so let's get right into them. Starting off with the radar imagery, you can see some moisture moving in from the west across into areas like Tofino right now, so that is going to head our way. Here's the system all across southern BC. Flurries, just a couple centimeters, not much at all, but let's focus in on the south coast right now. 
So lower mainland through the early evening hours, a 60% chance of flurries. Late this evening, though, that shifts more so into the east Fraser Valley, and then overnight it will ease off across the Metro Vancouver region. The areas we're concerned about for tomorrow morning, Nanaimo down towards Victoria. Good chance of either showers or flurries, most likely flurries though. Across the north, beautiful and clear. Wind chills close to minus 36 in the Whitehorse region though. And through the south, a slight chance of flurries in the morning, otherwise clearing through the afternoon hours. So still some cloud cover through the morning, but otherwise sunshine in the afternoon. There's the flurries for Vancouver Island just in the morning period, otherwise sunshine by the afternoon. Highs of about 4 or 5 degrees. Not much uh, melt expected tomorrow, so still very icy conditions right through tomorrow, Saturday and into our Christmas Eve. But the really neat thing is it looks like we have a chance of light snow on Christmas Eve into our Christmas morning. So fingers crossed that that actually happens. Happy birthday to Marjorie Russell celebrating 100 years and happy anniversary to Jean and Jim Clapton. Congratulations to you both. I'd like to welcome Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart in. Thanks so much for having me here. It is so neat to be out here. Well, welcome to Coquitlam. We love to have you out here. Yeah, you were saying that you and your wife came down not too long ago. We were here just about a week ago with both our dogs and absolutely loved uh, touring around. It was a very crowded evening that night. Uh, We're averaging about seven to 8,000 people a night at the largest free light display in the Lower Mainland. Well, it's great that it is such such a success. Now, um, we were talking earlier, though, because it is such a success, uh, parking's a bit tough. Parking's tough, but the great thing is the Evergreen Line got opened, and so now you come on the Millennium Line right to the east end of the Millennium Line is Lafarge Lake Station. Mm -hmm. Get off, and you're going to tour the lake. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, There's lots of parking here, but it's it's at a premium right now. Sure. I shouldn't say that it's tough. Yeah, you're right. There is some parking, but they're just encouraging people to take uh, transit. Uh, If you want, though, there is a map of the parking at uh, coquitlam.ca slash lights, and that's a good one. Uh, Thank you so much, and nice sweater there by the way this is one of my favorites i don't get to wear it very often though but pull it uh, out at christmas <laughs> nice ugly sweater thanks so much well, thanks come on out to lafarge lake that's right so much fun down here chris and sophie we're waiting for flurries that'll really make it beautiful down here no doubt a winter wonderland okay thanks very much and thank you mayor stewart and yes we agree on the sweater yes a California man may have pulled off the best Jenga move of all time, and of course, they captured it on camera. What? Oh yeah, he did. It's a wow. good thing we saw that in slow mo. After enjoying Thanksgiving dinner with his family last month, Austin Reed of San Rafael decides to pull a block. Well, he doesn't have many options. He pulls a block from the center of the giant stack, but instead of collapsing, the top layer just lands perfectly on top of the rest of the tower, much to the shock of his family and friends. Reed's relatives posted the video on social media where it's now racked up tens of thousands of views. And he put it on top. That's right. You got to keep playing. I'd like to see wow. the next move. Exactly. Because you know it collapsed after that. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, a lot of happy faces tonight in the city of Fernie, which continues to grieve the deaths of three men killed in an ammonia leak at Fernie Memorial Arena back in October. Today, though, an NHL-sized outdoor rink is officially open for Fernie's 5,000 residents. It has two players' benches, a penalty box, and lights. 
and it can stay open until 10 p.m. The rink came together over the last several weeks thanks to volunteers and an $80,000 donation from the Calgary Flames Foundation. Uh, it's a terrible thing that happened to this community, and uh, I know that lots of people are trying to move forward, but it's, it's just wonderful to see a community and that sense of community build around a goal and, you know, hit a home run with it. So we're, we're, we feel like we're lucky to be partnered with a city like this. It is the busiest travel day of the year, and soon your baggage might be under even closer scrutiny at some American airports. New high-tech screening devices are coming that see everything, no matter how cluttered your bag is. At TSA checkpoints nationwide this holiday season, more passengers, more screening officers, more dog teams, belts and shoes off, personal electronics out of the carry-ons. But screening veterans warn a determined terrorist might still get a bomb through today's checkpoints. This could be the solution. The laptop, the charge cords, the liquids, uh, everything's in here. New 3D scanners that digitally unpack a carry-on bag manipulating the image to peer beneath whatever's inside. Like a medical CAT scan, the software removes the clutter from overstuffed bags, then highlights in red anything that's of concern. In this case, an aerosol can. It's literally slicing the bag just like a CAT scan. If you unpack the clutter, the officers are able to delineate what's suspicious and what's not faster. While 3D scanners already screen checked bags, Congress is pushing the TSA to use them for passenger carry-ons. Already being tested in Phoenix and Boston, coming soon to JFK and Chicago O'Hare. Among the most challenging weapons to detect, plastic explosives that can be molded to look like anything, debt cord, and a cell phone triggering device. The new 3D scanners automatically detect weapons and explosive characteristics. Passengers will be able to leave their liquids in their bag because this system can distinguish between water, Coca-Cola, and liquid explosives. It's going to be faster. It's going to be able to identify automatically not just explosives, but weapons, which is going to help the screeners because you're taking the human factor out. The cost, $300,000 per machine, with the TSA starting to roll them out in 2018. Tom Costello, NBC News, Peabody, Massachusetts. It's warm in here. Is it, it warm? Is, it For the first day of winter? Yeah, that's, you know what? That's a very good point. It's just winter solstice. I have no issues with the warmth. Okay, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of ice cold. There you yeah. go. <laughs> okay. We keep talking about the Canucks without Bo Horvat. So let me give you one positive no bow stat. And this is really reaching. The only game they have won since Horvat was injured was against San Jose. And before that, they had lost five straight games to the Sharks. And Bo Horvat played in all five of those losses. I know, it's a reach. Outside of that, that no Horvat. That's, that that, that's all I got. Sorry. <laughs> Outside of that, it's definitely the wrong Jenga piece to pull out of the Canucks when Bo Horvat is gone. Uh, tonight, doesn't look like Ben Hutton will play tonight. We'll see at game time, but it doesn't look that way. He has sat out the Montreal game. Nikolai Godobin might sit this one out too. Jacob Marks will start in goal instead of Anders Nelson. Okay? 1992. That's when Ottawa and Tampa Bay first joined the NHL. Together. Oh, that's a goal. Bobby Ryan was stopped, but Dan Girardi puts it in off his buddy Braden Colburn. So it's 1-0 for Ottawa, and he feels shame. Now it's 1-1, and here is 10 cc's of Cody. Cody cc scores. 
and it's 2-1 for Ottawa. But then Yanni Gord, good young player for Tampa. And they got a lot of good players. 2-2. And we're going to the third period. 2-2, yes. Well, late in the second, it's now 3-2 for Ottawa. I stand corrected. The uh, Seahawks are currently sitting outside a playoff spot. They aren't out of the race just yet, but they have but two games left, and they pretty have to win much, have to win them both, and need some other teams to lose. This is unfamiliar to the 12s, but there are good reasons the Seahawks are in this predicament. Third and 20 now, and they'll just run it to Gurley. He's got a monster hole. Todd Gurley, he's got the first and more. Todd Gurley, all the way. It was one of the most embarrassing losses ever during the Russell Wilson era, which is nearly six seasons complete. Losing 42-7 to the Rams at home in a game that will likely cost them a playoff spot is a huge slap in the face to a very proud group of players. Now Seattle has to win its last two and get some help to keep their streak of five straight playoff appearances intact. Realized again, whatever happened last week, we still had to win this week. It doesn't, you know, it's the same, it's really the same scenario. Every one of these games are must games and, and, uh, and championship ops, so that's, that's how we're facing it, and they, they seem to realize that too. Personally, I, I look forward to it because I know adversity only introduces you to who you really are. Uh, and if we can get through this, then you know, we, we, we can really build upon it for the long run. Seattle's vaunted defense has been decimated by injuries this year. Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, and Cliff Averill are all out for the season, and teams have taken advantage. Seattle's given up 400 combined yards rushing in their last two games, which were both losses. But they got some good news earlier this week. Linebacker K.J. Wright will return versus the Cowboys, and Bobby Wagner expects to play despite a sore hamstring. And they'll need them all to stop Ezekiel Elliott, who returns for the Cowboys after serving a six-game suspension. We've been down this road before, and, and all it takes is, you know, focus and, you know, everybody doing their job to to get back on the right track, and I feel like everybody is there. Seattle's defense is worn out for good reason. They've spent a lot of time on the field because the offense, with a bad offensive line, hasn't been able to sustain drives. No matter what happens this year, Seattle needs to seriously look at moving some of those all-pro defenders to get some help on the O-line. The players even feel it's a bit of a crossroads for this group that has enjoyed so much success. The time frame in which we're in, the situation in which we're in, um, the state of our roster, age-wise, uh, so many different factors play into it. You know, you know, I think it's it's a different place for us, and um, we're looking at it as as just some more adversity. If Seattle loses Sunday, they will officially be eliminated from the playoffs. Very delay global sports. The Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame has changed its eligibility requirements. Players can now be voted in just three years after their retirement, which means a well-dressed Steve Nash is eligible to be voted in for 2018. Two-time MVP should be able to get in first time out. The announcement of whether he gets in is next year around April. Actually, it'll be in April, but I think he should get in. He's mm -hmm. one of the greatest passers of all time and a good guy as well, so there you go. Back-to-back -back MVPs. And he's got, and he's got a, you know, a nice gym. And he's from here. And he's <laughs> so a part owner of the Whitecaps. So many things going for him. Yes. All right. Thanks, Square. Thanks, Square. Let's check in with J.D. now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Thank you, Sophie. We'll be keeping an eye on the weather tonight to see if the roads get icy with the temperatures expected to drop. And we're headed to Commercial Drive where it's the end of an era for an iconic restaurant. 
Nick's Spaghetti House is closing its doors. Tonight is the last night, an emotional send-off for the owners who've had such a loyal following of customers over the years. That's coming up tonight. I've been there many times myself. Sad to oh, see yeah. it go. Yeah. It is true. Emotional for a lot of folks. Thanks, Jay. All right. The favorite Christmas memories from some people you'll probably recognize. Squire is back with that next. And here is Kasia Padurka with five things to do this weekend before the big day. Kasia? You're right, guys. Christmas is in the air. So take the holidays to new heights at the Sea to Sky Gondola's Spirit of Christmas. Enjoy the Christmas forest. Enjoy some snowshoeing or snow tubing and fondue over the holidays. Who knew jellyfish could be festive? The Vancouver Aquarium did. Glowing jellyfish, magical aquatic displays, and scuba claws are just some of the features that make holiday traditions at the aquarium a unique and unforgettable experience it's on until january the 7th saturday night join in a sing-along at the town center park in coquitlam jingle bells will be handed out as carolers lead the way festive treats and warm bevies they'll be available as well it's historic, educational, fun, and full of holiday traditions. A Fort Langley Christmas is all of this and more. Hear stories and take a tour and try chestnuts roasted over the fire. Back to modern times. Holiday Heights is on at Bloedel Conservatory. Find hidden penguins in the Arctic oasis and enjoy the lush gardens and holiday light display. Admission for kids is less than $5. For more on these events, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. An emerging Christmas tradition here at Global BC, courtesy of Squire Barnes. Well, last year, uh, you two were involved in our first right. sort of like going back into Christmas memory. So I thought, you know, let's pick different people and see what their memories are all about. So here we go. Another Global Christmas. Mark Madriga, please hold up your Christmas photo. There it is. 1965, I would have just turned two. And I'm pretty sure it's my Uncle Stuart who's the Santa because he had a Scottish accent and that made me feel pretty good because it was our first Christmas here. Does little Lynn have a Scottish accent? She sure does. I'm going to guess you are the one in the blue dress. I am. I am. That's my brother and sister and me and the big guy. You're actually not paying attention to Santa. Well, Something because Santa is very scary when you're two. There it is. Okay. That's my beloved sister, Justine, who we lost uh, not quite two years ago. My older brother, John Stephen. And that's me rocking the uh, boy bob. That's me. At the age of? Uh, about five years old. Five years old. Yeah. This is called uh, Always Sisters. I'm not sure why I was so excited. You can actually see one of my sisters in that photo. I already had sisters. Didn't need a doll to be my sister, but I really loved dolls. I've got the fake beard on there. My brother's decorating the tree in the background. So this would probably be, I want to say, 1991. On Christmas Day, what food had to be there? Had to be oh. there. Well, my dad was very particular about having a nice tender turkey. Mom and dad, both Ukrainian. So there'd be holopchi, pedahe, cabbage rolls, pierogies. Christmas dessert was always a clouty dumpling. Dessert is squidgy chocolate log. And inside the Clutie dumpling was always um, coins. There was always a bowl of mandarin oranges, this specific glass bowl at my grandma's, always mandarin oranges. My dad made this fabulous punch in a, one of those big punch bowls, with, and he'd make this ice ring for it. What was your favorite gift you ever got? I know this sounds like a total nerd thing to say, but it was a dictionary. An easy bake oven. And then feeling completely ripped off because it was run by a light bulb. I thought it was going to be way higher tech. My favorite song was Stoopy's Christmas. 
Snoopy's Christmas. Christmas bells, those Christmas bells ring throughout the land. Give us two, three lines. I won't even look. Go ahead. Dreaming of a white Christmas. Eight maids are milking, seven swans are swimming, six geese are laying. Have yourself a merry little Christmas.